0: All right. Southern Soul Podcast is a weekly hangout and live DJ happy hour where the hosts know you by name and just might remind you of a favorite relative. We spotlight interesting people, discuss current events, and pay special attention to lifting up the younger generations and honoring those who came before us. Join us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Just log on, kick back, and experience the eclectic vibe. Check us out at southernsoulpodcast.com. And I am now turning it over to Daddy Rich. Hey,
1: what's up, people? Thank you, everyone, for joining. We have a very interesting topic tonight, an interesting but different topic. You know, one that's actually quite sincere to me because OMG, what has happened to the education system? I don't know. I remember the old days where a kid go to school and your parents say, hey, I give you a dollar if you get an A but it ain't like that anymore. Lord knows my son was testing for gifted and the teacher was still saying I got problems, but I'm glad I got a chance to chop it up with Dr. Rudy earlier this week. And he helped me understand that there is help and there are answers. So I just want to, you know, give you guys a chance to meet Dr. Rudy Jackson Jr. So let's put him on spotlight so we can get him going. And can you help us get this both on spotlight? and add me too, that'd be great. Perfect, yep, that's a good one. So, so, so Dr. Rudy, um, go ahead and give us an intro. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure, um, I am here in Atlanta, Georgia, in the north part in Snellville, and I am currently an administrator at Georgia Gwinnett College. Uh, it's a college in the U.S. Uh, system, U.S. system of Georgia. And I'm a school psychologist. So I've been doing this since 1994 and been working with schools and working on college campuses and helping them design learning environments so that our kids can be successful. So I will talk about all the different things I've done since 1994,
1: but... Tamika, if you can meet them in the background. Sorry about that. Right. Yeah, no worries. But the uh,
2: the bottom line is I'm a dad. I've got two teenage daughters. A rising eighth and 10th grader. I'm a husband and uh, I get to drive my kids around. So uh, that's what I do. And then I do psychology and college prep stuff uh, during the day.
1: Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I'm glad um, that you're here with us tonight. You know, and you know, as I read through your background information, I was really excited because I began to see. I love the description, you said you're a psychologist, you're, well, parent first, psychologist second, and what was the last one? Educator, let's call it that. But, but, the, but the thing that was very key for me is that you have a gift and you have this thing that you've been observing, you've been learning. And, it's, and I feel like you're getting ready to share your gift with us tonight. So I got a question just to get it started. You know, As parents and caregivers, we put so much energy into helping our children become academically successful, we push for the right teachers, we push for the right classes, but I feel like there's something missing, right? My son, he's getting good grades, but it's still like something ain't right. So I don't know, what would you tell us? What is missing from the equation in our children's success? You know, what more can be done outside of A's and B's and report cards?
2: Well, that's a great question. Again, I'm a parent, so I'm looking at grades, not only at the end of the semester or end of the year, but all throughout the year. So grades are important, but grades are in some ways like the finish line. And what I know like as a college professor is a lot of students come to college from high school and they have good grades, but they don't have good study habits. They don't have good time management. Uh, Some of the skills they have in math and English really aren't deserving of those great grades that they have. They may have good test scores. And so if we just focus on grades, sometimes we can get Uh, a false security that our kids are are doing well and they're going to do well in the future Uh, but you know again being on a college campus and those grades begin to drop that first semester we start looking at really what's at the core of either getting a good grade or not getting a good grade and that's really what's missing Um, a lot of times parents they just have so many responsibilities they're so busy they don't have time to sit down and analyze you know, a kid's studies habits, or whether they have a routine, whether they know how to access resources, whether they're going through something with their teacher in the class where they may be ready and prepared, but their teacher may not be calling on them or giving them the feedback they need to be engaged. And so as a school psychologist, there's so many dynamics that play. Uh, many times when we just look at grades, we really miss whether the kid is engaged, whether they really have the skills to be successful. And unfortunately, a lot of times when they make that transition either from middle to high or high to college, many times there's a little dip because they have to readjust. Um, And one of the things that we just learned during COVID is that there was really one thing that really pushed whether students were being successful or not. And most parents don't know what that is, but what what it is is structure without the structure of the school day, even the routine of getting on the bus or walking to school or going to classes and classes starting and ending and turning in assignments and having a teacher prompt you, all of that structure guides students through their learning process. And without that, or with a different structure, uh, the structure that we had, we tried to recreate in COVID, we found out that our kids really weren't performing as well And in many cases, weren't learning as well. So those are some of the things, the the initial things, academic skills. We can, we'll talk a little later about mindset. You know, that's been a popular thing that people have talked about where, you know, we used to praise our kids. Oh, you're so smart and you're getting good grades. And one of the things we found out was that when we only talk about a student's quote unquote ability and not really talk about the work that they put into it with their grades drop, many times they look at themselves and like, gosh, I'm not capable. And the reality is you didn't prepare, you didn't put the work in, or there may be some gaps. You just didn't learn what you needed to be successful. So there, again, I'm a school psychologist. This is kind yeah. of the core of five years of graduate training and to focus in on the student, the classroom, and the teacher. And so there are many things that that we can look at.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I mean, come on, COVID affected us all, right? right? I heard it. It was like for the first time in our lives, one thing significantly affected all of us. You know, in the whole COVID and education, I've been hearing all kinds of crazy things. Things like school district losing, the word is losing thousands of students. You know, OMG, my son, his Chromebook for class did not show up until six weeks after school had started. So when I've thought about it, I'm like, hmm, I guess if the child didn't have structure in the classroom, also structure at home, then I can see that structure being very important. It's not just the A's and the B's.
2: For sure. For sure. And, and again, not only for K-12, but we also saw that um, on the college campuses as well. Um, and so many times when those students students leave, they don't come back.
1: Understood. So tell me I had another question because I... In reading through information, you you have this concept of a cohort, right? And and when I read it, I mean, it seems simple, but effective. So so, so tell us about this concept of building a cohort for a child and why you believe it can position them for success in a more positive environment, learning environment. Yeah. You know,
2: cohorts go back a very long time outside of just really formal education, Uh, but we tend to understand cohorts best when we think about special programs. For example, they may be a special program for African-American males or uh, Latino women, or we even think about things like fraternities and sororities. Really what a cohort is, is just a group of people entering and experience together and then building some kind of identity around kind of who they are because of the experience they have. Uh, But for me, I, I first and foremost understand that you know, the literature says, the research says, my experience says that when people interact in a learning environment, they learn more, they learn better. And that can be two, it could be peers teaching each other. It could be a small group, sometimes a large group, but there's some benefits of being in a cohort. So first, so first benefit is learning together. By the time, and I know your, your son is, is much younger, but by the time your son becomes a preteen, he will begin to gravitate towards his peers. And during that time, he's gonna be listening just like every adolescent, they begin to value their peers uh, and their opinions and their values. And so if we can use the cohort to kind of guide the expectations and the values of whatever the cohort is, we begin to have that influence that we used to have as parent, as adult, when they were younger. And we actually are able to garner that and and sometimes guide that because in most cohorts there are older adults that are leading the students through through the cohort so learning together is the big uh the first thing the other thing is is it's supportive cohorts are designed to build relationships and again when you have more people who are invested in your success and in who you are those folks can encourage they can motivate they can also if the relationship is strong enough They can hold you accountable. So just like a parent, you may have aunts and uncles in your family who can also have an influence on your child, on your teenager, and you don't have to be the only one that's driving that conversation. Well, cohorts really do have the power to have those relationships and to be supportive. And then the last thing, which I'm super um, interested in, is that cohorts really help us figure out how to build things together. So many people on the call probably have done lots of great things. They've been successful in their businesses. Uh, But most of us, when we've been successful, we've done it on a team or with other people. Being in a cohort allows students to actually know and learn how to build things together. And so those are the things, again, it's not just about getting an A or getting through and graduating and all that. It just helps our kids kind of come together and bond in a way. Now, there's sometimes there are other ways to do that, like athletics or other club, you know, being on a sports team. Sometimes you you get those bonds, but you really don't have to have that. You can create cohorts really based on a student's interest or group of students' interests. And many of the high schools are doing it. I had the the luxury of doing it going back to my high school in Arlington, uh, Wakefield High School and doing it uh, a number of years ago. And and those programs, once they get started and the the culture builds, it becomes a destination because every kid's not an athlete, every kid's not a musician, and it's a way for kids to find community um, with, with other kids.
1: You know, um, Dr. J, you know, the things that you're saying, thank you for that. It just really resonates because and growing up, you know, growing up in a large family you know, in my family, we got like 20 kids on that age of 20. We've always had that. Right. It was always a family of young kids. My son doesn't have that environment. You know, he's the only kid and he doesn't have that peer group. And I constantly just feel that cringe when I see him struggling because I don't see him learning from the cohort. Back in the day, we didn't call it a cohort. We didn't small town, Texas. It was, you know, it was a community. It was the, it takes a village. It was other stuff, but I like what you've done because what you've done is some of the core principles that maybe, you know, my grandparents who had, I don't know what Tracy, how many brothers and sisters you you about two, She had about 18 brothers and sisters, right? So they had a bunch of kids. So I grew up in this community. We didn't call it a cohort. It was just, it takes a village type nuances, but there still is hope because I like what you're saying is even though my son is an only child, I can be very intentional and make sure I surround him by an intentional cohort.
2: Right, right. And, and I think many of us do that because like you say, we as parents, we make these decisions about where we're going to live and what school districts and, you know, we, we, we befriend and, and, you know, certain people. And we know like a cohort like really Jack and Jill. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one that many of us in our 40s and 50s remember that certain people were in and certain people were out. And so it, it, it's something that's, that's going on. It's not, you know, anything new, uh, but I I think it's, and I raise it because I think it's something that most parents can recreate within their own neighborhoods or within their own areas uh, with, you know, just working through the network um, and their own network.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for that. So let's shift gears. Let's talk about college, right? Sure. You know, Kids get a little older, let's say, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11, 12. But times have changed. You know, getting into college is a rigorous process, even more challenging than what it used to be. Right. And over the past 15 years, tons and tons of organizations have popped up college prep, this college boot camp, this. It's just like it's insane. It's an industry. I don't know what the number is, but I can tell people making money. Oh, yeah. You, some years ago, you started your own organization college prep professionals, but you entered into a very crowded and competitive space. What distinguishes you from other people? What makes you unique? Yeah, well, back
2: in 2006, when I left Davidson and stopped being a faculty member, that's when I started college prep professionals. And actually prior to that, I was doing all the same work with my family and friends. Just like if you're a lawyer, a mechanic, your uncles, aunts, cousins, they're going to call you when you can help them. And so what I basically did was took what I learned at Davidson and at Randolph-Macon as a faculty member and put that into my business. And while I was at Davidson, I had a great experience by being on a scholarship committee. And and most people don't know Davidson College. Davidson is in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's typically a top 10 liberal arts college. Uh, So the students who go there are the cream of the crop. They're the highest performing students and the ones who are selected for review for merit scholarship are the top of the top. And so when we would sit down and I say we, the uh, staff members and faculty, we would look at these these applications, there really wasn't much difference in the test scores or the GPAs. And what I've found out over a number of years is there were other factors that we looked for. And so many of the college prep businesses actually focus on helping students become more competitive applicants for admission and scholarship, which is great. What I do in my business is I take students who are competitive and I show them how to win and beat other competitive students. So there's the trying to be more qualified and then it's to try to be uh, chosen among qualified students. And the other, the I'm not a fan of just trying to be qualified because there are tens and thousands of students that are applying to the Dukes and the Pens and the UGAs and the UVAs. They, I mean, you just can't be competitive anymore. That's like your ticket to get in the game. If you don't know how to win the game, then you're probably going to lose. Basically, because other students know how to win the game. So I teach students how to win the game, and I use my experience being at Davidson, being on that scholarship committee, to help students stand out. So. That's my big advantage. Now, now understand that there, there are plenty of people who are former admission counselors or former scholarship uh, committee members who are in this, this area, of uh, this arena of college prep. But I basically have my own system and I teach. A lot of other programs want to manage. They want to walk you through this process. They want to work with you for six months. That's not kind of how I do it. I'm, I'm an educator. I'm gonna teach you as a parent I'm gonna teach you as a student. And again, if you are a rising senior and you've taken five AP classes and you got a 12, 13, 1400 in your SAT, you can figure out how to get into a good college. It ain't rocket science. It's something you need to learn, but I'm not gonna sit there and hold your hand through the whole process. Now, some parents, they want their hand held. That's cool. They're gonna pay for it but I'm a teacher. So I'm going to teach you what to do. I'm going to give you the strategies to show you how to stand out. And then I'm going to put some, some tools in place for you to monitor your progress so that you can see whether you're falling behind or whether you're on track. And then at, at the end of the day, I'll check in with that, with, with that client and I'll see how they're doing, but I've turned it into almost like a course. So th- that's the way I distinguish myself.
1: Well, you know, thanks for sharing X. One thing I really enjoy about your process is that you also work with the parents yep. and that's very rele- relevant for me because I cannot count the number of parents I've talked to, mostly moms who are just nervous and they're nervous because they don't know if they're doing too much stem, not enough stem. They don't know if they started too early, if they started too late. Right. Right. You know, they are they, they, having a hard time keeping up. And I'm thinking about you know my experience, right? I go back to the '90s. I'm in college at the '90s. I remember, I'm um, National Honor Society for four years in a row, and they were back then. They were like, "Hey, it's competitive." So I kind of knew that that wouldn't be enough. So then they used to say stuff like, well, make sure you have, you know, extracurricular activities, make sure you have sports and things like that. And I, and I did those things. And I think that kind of rounded me out. But I inflation is a mother. Right. <laughs> so you, you, you fast forward some 20, 30 years. And now it's like, hey, you may be National Honor Society for years. You may be an athlete, but that's still not enough. And something right. tells me that parents need to know what the new rules are and what has changed, you know, over this last 15 years.
2: Yeah. Well, and every parent, whether they are, you know, a paid client or whether it's a family or friend, family or friend, they have that same question. Number one, am I on track? Because if you've gone through like the first 10 years and you're looking at junior year or you're running into senior year, the last thing you want to do is have those 10 years go to waste because, you know, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. So one of the most important things you can help parents with is to show them where they are in the process and really figure out what's going to matter most. So if we're going into the summer, you know, here in Georgia school uh, finished last week. I know up in Charlotte, it's going to finish next week up in Maryland, D.C. area. It's going to finish in a couple of weeks. So as we're going into the summer, you got 10 weeks and you got to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do this these 10 weeks, what's going to matter most to give my son or daughter an advantage. And so that's one of the things we try to help parents would is to help them identify what matters most and let them prioritize uh, what they're gonna do because you know the student may be working, the student may have athletics, they may um, be volunteering, it could be doing a number of things. So trying to help them pinpoint what they're doing so that they can take some control over this process. Again, not that somebody else is gonna you know, sit back and do it for them. So that's one of the things I think give parents a lot of peace of mind they can just cut through all of the noise and all of the things that their neighbors are saying that they're doing and all the things that are on the internet and just say for my kid, he or she has this profile. He or she is trying to go to these schools. This is what we need to do. And I'd rather somebody help me get to that point versus me trying to take all summer to figure it out because it becomes a time game. And the exactly. more time that goes along, the more stress that comes on the relationship between the parent and the teenager. Because basically what happens is if you got, let's say you got a rising junior and they say, hey, I don't know what college I wanna to go to. I don't know what I want to major in or I haven't looked at this. Every conversation becomes, have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Have you done, have you done it yet? And then the, t- the teenager basically starts telling the parent what they wanna hear and getting things done. So there needs to be some clarity on what needs to be done and some
1: timelines
2: about getting it done.
1: Well, you know, thanks for sharing that. I can see that being very helpful and you're just making me foreshadow dealing with a teenager, so yeah. Oh, it's gonna be fun, you're gonna love it, <laughs> you <gonna> love it. <laughs> so, so next question, right? In all reality, right? All, all young people aren't going to college, right? So let's talk about life skills, right? Sure. What kinds of skills do you find to be critical for us to instill in our children, regardless or if they're going to college or whatever they're doing after high school.
2: Yeah, and I appreciate the way you kind of frame that because the life skills or even the success skills or whatever you want to call them, it doesn't matter if you go to the military. It doesn't matter if you go straight into the workplace. If you go to college. If you start your own business. These are and I life skills, success skills. So there, there are a few things to me that are critical. So the very first one, and we hear this a lot, this whole thing about critical thinking and that critical thinking really isn't taught in the schools. But at the end of the day, no matter where your, your, your young adult is and when they go out into the world, they don't have to solve problems. And if all they've been doing is regurgitating information and memorizing information, they may leave you and not really know how to solve problems. Now, that's going to be problematic. But the other opportunity is missed is that if your son or daughter doesn't know how to think critically to recognize opportunities, they're going to miss out. And so for me, critical thinking is the first and foremost thing that I'm always pushing for my clients. I'm always pushing for my teenagers because they're going to have to solve problems, whether it's in the workplace, in their, in their neighborhoods, in their communities, in their home. And then the next level is they ought to be able to recognize and respond to opportunities. So critical thinking is the first one. The second one is collaboration and working with teams. And you know, I talked earlier about the, the cohorts, but again, everything that we tend to do boils down to not just our work, but other people's work. Whether we're working in a, in a team where we're all equal, whether we are working and somebody's directing us, whether we're directing other folks, it's a skill. And This is the one thing I know I don't have to repeat it is a skill to work in a team, not just to lead a team, but to work effectively in a team. And the, the more that our, our kids can practice that skill before they leave us, the better. Now, here's one of the challenges that for whatever reason, the way group work and teamwork has been designed and implemented in many of the schools, kids begin to hate teamwork you know, you probably got, we got people on this call that would be like, yeah, I don't want to work in a team. I just, I just want to do it myself. I don't want somebody pulling down my grade or pulling down my score or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, sometimes that happens because the, the team dynamics are poorly designed by the, by the teacher, but working in a team is, is critical. And that leads into my last, well, before I get to my last week, but, but that leads into this notion of if we're really trying to build our community, we got to build it together. And so we really need to instill that early. And then the last piece is information literacy. And um, if you, are, you take five minutes on social media, you, you understand that we have some information, illiterate people in, in our society. So the ability to access resources, information, to evaluate it, and then to use it, it's only gonna be uh, more important as we continue to get bombarded with more information. Um, information is not going anywhere Uh, we get misled very easily Uh, we can use the example of us you know knowing our history not knowing our history being you know following somebody else who's been following us for hundreds of years and we look into them for answers so don't even get me started on that but information literacy is that third piece so critical thinking uh, working in teams and um, information
1: literacy you know I love that you broke those down. And I'm definitely got to remember those um, tips when I play this back. You know, with my background being in engineering, we've always talked about teamwork, teamwork. Then I went to business school. They talked about teamwork, teamwork. I've literally taken for granted that a lot of people don't get access to teamwork and training on teamwork. I've been taught consistently throughout my education, teamwork, teamwork. So I find that frustration that I can tell that you sense is that if we're not working in team, that's going to create some other problems. But more specifically, our children have to understand this team and this collaboration. On your last point, and I really do love it, information literacy. I mean, I mean, think about it. In our times, we didn't have a Wikipedia, right? Some people may look at Wikipedia and they say, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So they look at Wikipedia and they say that's the Bible. They say that's the, the source of truth. But I like what you're saying is because we're now overwhelmed with so much information, with so much data in the skill of being able to figure out what's the true north. What's the real truth when you're given so much information? Because, you know, the average person, they're going to find one thing that looks factual and they say, this is the truth. And as you know, you got to cross reference, you got to check, you got to confirm, you got to research, you got to back up. There is a lot more to it, but that definitely gives me insight for the right. world that my son is coming into. A couple more questions. thing,
2: Right before we go on, another thing I would say is you and I and the folks on this call know also that it's not just information is out there. We know that information is being driven to us based on what we've done in the past, whether it's our preferences or likes. And so we are actually being pushed and nudged towards a certain end, whether we know it or not. And so we we've got to be on top of that. So I just wanted to throw that in too.
1: Yeah. Thanks, thanks, thanks for sharing that plug on um, I call that evil technology. Okay. But yeah, I have to do a segment on evil technology. Yeah. In my yeah. day it was innocent, you know, it just did what you wanted to do. Now it's programmed to do stuff you don't want it to do. Yeah. But the reality
2: questions. is, even back in our time, those commercials were evil technology, you know, with those totally. liminal messages. And so evil technology has been out there for a minute. It's just it's just on steroids
1: right now. Yeah, touche. A couple more questions, and then we'll jump Mm -hmm. into um, some questions from the audience. So, audience, if you would get ready, I would definitely like to have open discussion. This is an opportunity uh, to talk to Dr. J, Dr. Rudy Jackson, about some of the questions and nuance you have. We're going to share with you his information. Um, Go ahead and pop those um, websites in there, um, Tamika, if you don't mind. We're going to share his information. But then we want you to have an opportunity to do open discussion, and let's just you know, have some open discussion questions. So Dr. Rudy, your career has centered around psychology and academics, both K through the, both the K through 12 space and the university, ranging from curriculum design, evaluation of teacher education. What particular niche have you found most personally rewarding?
2: Yeah, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit and I, for the last couple of days, I've been going back and forth. I mean, Mm -hmm. All I can, and I can't answer that question. It's like asking me to choose between one of my two kids, which was my favorite. Um, But I'll just say this, that when I started out as a school psychologist in Dallas, Texas, as a, what, 26-year-old, I I loved being a school psychologist because I was able to problem solve every day. So for any student or family that was having a challenge or a difficulty, I I was able to try to bring some resolution and improve their situation. That was was super rewarding. But what I found out very quickly in in like nine months, one school year is that, you know, you throwing throwing starfish back back in the ocean. And that's really what pushed me to higher ed, to work in teacher ed programs to try to help, you know, improve the preparation and training of teachers. And for those 12 years working at Randolph-Macon and then working at Davidson College, I mean, just being in the classroom and having to prepare and then being around smart students and just engaging in the dialogue and the understanding that was, that was probably, that may have been the most rewarding piece and and just developing relationship with, you know, most of those students I I keep in contact with, or I talk with, with a lot of them Uh, that was super rewarding. And then, you know, now being an administrator and, being able to create programs at a college that really impact hundreds or thousands of students. But now, lately, the last 15 years in the college prep space, having my own business, uh, being able to create something, you know, bring it to the community, help students kind of achieve these goals and and really teach them something. And I think it's going to help them in life and really help our community. That's a close second, but I I have to say those years teaching at randolph Bacon and uh, Davidson, those 12 years were probably the most rewarding.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that with you. I, I won't summarize. People say I'm the king of summary, summary but I that's heard a lot of ju- times. So that's, that's yeah. Good education, yeah.
3: Man.
2: That's
1: good education. I heard so many jewels in what you said. I heard you like solving problems. I heard you like working with the youth. I heard you know, you like, you know, dealing with intelligent people. And right. I also heard community, community, community. And I love that because, you know, sometimes people don't, not a lot of people have gotten to that point of being able to do what they love and loving what they do. But I can tell between all of those things is definitely your passion and you're not in it for other reasons. You're in it for that passion. Final question. Then we'll go open up to um, some questions. Actually what we're going to do. We're going to pause. We're going to take a break so we can refill our, um, uh, drinks, or you know, take a break, and then we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll come back. So, okay. so final question: Give us one recommendation for something parents can implement now for their children in elementary school, be it middle school right. or high school. Right. Well,
2: again, I, I was I, I was kind of stuck on this because I was thinking what's the one thing, and then, then finally it finally came to me that. The one thing we can all do, no matter how old your your kids are, is that we've got to be more intentional about talking and listening to our kids. And when I say talking and listening, I'm in, and I'm saying this like I'm looking in the mirror. I'm not saying this like preaching or saying I got this perfect. But I mean, our kids, again, if you've got a 15 year old or five year old, our kids in it are in a place where they just can't do things like we do them, even though we want them to do them like we do them. And so we've got to really meet them where they are and engage with them where they are and just allow that time to be their time and not the time when you're trying to take them and stretch them to where you want them to be. And I'm as guilty as anybody of doing that um, always thinking about you know taking my girls and building skills, but sometimes it's, it's enough to if they're looking at their phone. Hey, what you looking at? And you know, for them, it's like let me tell dad something so he'll leave me alone. Nah, let's you know, tell me a little bit about it. Well, what's that? Or who's that? Or and you know, find some points of connection because before you know it, they're gonna be gone. So I, I would encourage every parent to not just talk and listen to them but with them and not for the purpose of getting them to where you want them to be just just be there with them
1: well thank you dr rudy this has been awesome i feel like you have blessed me with all kinds of wisdom tonight and you know if we can drop into the chat his business card we got a couple um links we're going to take a break i'm going to listen to a song dr rudy take your break okay. and katie if you don't mind queuing up those questions and if you don't have any questions yet please um, you know get us started with it so let me play one song and be right back with you shortly great
3: even though i tried to make it play the part but i can't fake it it keeps holding on and it's holding strong. Even though I tried to break it, heaven knows that I can't shake it. Holding on, holding on, holding on. I've seen times that were harder. I remember the taste of bitterness. Won't you help me, my father? We fall in the love that I have missed, though my past has left me bruised, I ain't hiding from the truth, when the truth won't let me lie right next to you, but it's holding on and it's holding strong, even though. I tried to make it play the part, but I can't fake it. It keeps holding on. on. And it's holding strong. Even though I tried to break it, heaven knows that I can't shake it. it. Holding on. on. Holding on.
1: Okay, we'll finish this next song. See if I can get it to play. All right,
3: Captain, we've got a couple of questions.
1: Okay, you got a couple of questions, you ready?
0: Yeah, we sure are. Um, Mark, Mark Coleman has a question. Mark, um, would you like me to ask it or are you, are you ready to ask it for yourself? He might be coming off of mute. I'll give him a second. We've also got... Okay, okay thank you. Go ahead and ask your question, please.
1: Okay, so, so Rudy, how you doing, man? Great, brother. How are you? Good, good. So I was wondering how often do you have to kind of shift people, the uh, students and parents from just focusing on test scores and just the getting into school and try to focus them on developing the skills that they need to kind of stay and stick in school because that's a problem that, is that I've seen a lot is that you know, we focus so much on getting people in, but not how do they thrive once they're there. So how, how often do you have come against that problem? Uh,
2: well, I mean, being on a college campus, uh, that's every day uh, and that's everywhere I've been. So being at Georgia Gwinnett College, now we had an open access institution. Um, it's very different than when I was at Vanderbilt, Randolph, Macon and Davidson. Um, those students came and many times they had a lot more social capital or college capital where parents or uncles and aunts had really taught them kind of what they needed to do, what the pitfalls were. But even there, you know, I, I try to help them understand that your job is to be a gold miner. If you're at Vanderbilt, yeah, you're going to graduate. That degree is going to look good. But the gold is not in the degree. The gold is in the relationships the resources, all the things you can do there, as opposed to just graduating and saying, I'm a graduate of such and such of a university. And so it's, it's every day. And it, if, if I'm honest, it was the same for me and everybody back in the 80s. So you know it's not a new problem because when students come to college, they don't know what they don't know. And so we have to help them understand that you, you're there to not only get the certificate, the degree, the knowledge, but you got all these resources around here, folks that are going to open doors for you and you got to get that. They they, We're not going to give you that. There's a career center. You got to go get that. There's a tutoring center. You got to go get that. There's internship. So it's, it's a lot that students have to go get, but if if folks get, and here's one of the issues that happens, You know, we celebrate getting into college so much. We celebrate the one or two kids that get $100,000 in scholarships, so much that they feel like that's the finish line. Well, I'm there, I'm, I'm in the dorm, I'm, I'm, I'm on, on the yard at Howard, I'm on the yard wherever. And they, they're like, okay, now what? All I know is I gotta go to class. And so just like anything, it's a new environment. They gotta understand not only how to navigate, but they gotta understand how to maximize that experience. That is every day. Thanks, brother. All right, man, appreciate you.
0: All right, we had a, a conversation from Arva.
4: Ms. Hi. revoked. Hi, Rudy. Hey, Arva. Um, okay, so I'm going back to the getting into college, even though this conversation was about once you get there, sure. I mean, the, for the previous question, but, um, so my kids did not take the SAT this year because okay. I did not want to send them in to an in-person, you know, mm-hmm. environment to take the SAT. So they'll be taking it again uh, next year, obviously. And now I'm looking at SAT prep courses. Um, what are your thoughts on SAT prep courses?
2: So, so I have a, a couple guiding principles. So. The first and foremost is you got to know your student.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Some students, and, and you have two sons, so yep. sometimes they're different. Even you know amongst your kids, there are differences. Some kids, and I'm going back to the structure piece, do better in a formal setting where they're going to be there every Saturday for three or four hours, they're going to get instruction. Mm-hmm. Some students can learn on their own at home they, they may not need a lot of guidance. You can say, hey, here are the online resources for the ACT. A- a- here are the online resources for the SAT. You can study, you can practice, just put in your time, do the practice tests. that's enough. It just depends on what environment your son or daughter performs best in. So once you know, they take the test and you know maybe they took a PSAT and, you know once you take that first test what those uh, agencies do is they send you a profile that show you where your, your son or daughter's strengths or weaknesses are what you should do is make sure that you're focusing on the things that they need to improve on and you know that should be the focus of, of their study and practice and again we got summer so we got 10 weeks they should be able to carve out you know five to six hours across seven days in a week to, to get on that um, mm-hmm. but it really should be guided so I personally haven't seen any specific test prep companies that I'm just all in love with and would recommend. Uh, But I will say that the structure of going to a place, sitting down and being expected to learn something does have value for a lot of students. Um, And so a lot of times then it becomes, can you fit it in? You know, what's the cost? They're gonna promise Mm -hmm. you the world. They're gonna promise you they're gonna raise your scores. 100, 200 points, you know, hey, that's, you know, I I don't, I don't know about all that, but um, (laughs) that's, that's typically the process I go through when I'm working with a client and we're looking at wherever that's, that, that teenager scores are, is Mm -hmm. we we put a plan together, what we're going to focus on, the time, really what it comes down to is another issue around the skills is, you know, you've got to plan out your time to get it better. It's just not a matter of I take another year of classes and my math score is going to jump. Right. So, so, you know, working that into all the other stuff that, you know, our teenagers are going to do this summer is a good way and put it on them. Let them set the goal. You know, how high do you want it to be? And, you know, go check out your, your target colleges. You know, you want to go to Georgia tech or you want to go to Cal, you know, what are the average SATs at those places? Well, Hey, you know, how far do you need to go? And Mm -hmm. that way it becomes, Something that they can take a little more ownership of, and then again, you as a parent don't have to keep going back and say, "Did you study? Did you study? Did you study?"
4: Right. Yeah. I I did find um, I've been doing some research on the SAT prep courses, and I found one that's um, online, but it's it's uh, like what you said. It's every Saturday, yeah. you know, from this time to that time, where they'll be you know, learning, and I almost feel bad because they just spent a year at home <laughs> doing digital school, but I'm like, no, nah, we, you, you need this. Yeah. Yeah. You, you yeah. need
2: this. It's, it's, it's tied to their goal. Yeah. One. Especially if, if, if they're already excited about one or more schools, then you can sell them on that. If you want to get into such and such, or you want to get into this program. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is what we got to do. All right. Awesome. All
0: right. Thanks Many Rudy. Calls. Uh Sure. Rudy, question for you about um, students who are athletes. How is it that you help them balance sort of what it is that the goals that they may have for their athletic endeavors um, post high school and really sort of with the reality of them becoming a professional athlete or, you know, succeeding in athletes in general? I mean, is there any kind of advice that you give parents and students around that?
2: Well, There are two things. First of all, I I don't do any college planning for athletes specific. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, hey, I'm trying to play football at University of Texas. Hey, what do I need to do? I I don't have a program set up for athletes. Mm -hmm. The second thing I don't do is I don't discourage any student from pursuing their athletic dream. I I don't care what you want to do. If you tell me what you want to (laughs) do, I use that as my vehicle to get you to do all these other things. Mm -hmm. So I'm not gonna talk anything about your percentages of becoming a pro athlete. That that goes back to the the Naomi Osaka thing. I don't want to put any doubt in in your mind that, that you can achieve this goal. Now I may want to ask you about other things that you want to do, and we don't have to just have a singular conversation about athletics. Because even even for the kid who really just has the dream of being a pro athlete, there are always a, a lot of other things that they're, they're interested in. And so I use that as my my fuel to get to all these other stuff. And because clearly, they ain't getting their, 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 done, their work done. They ain't going to play in high school. So all that stuff kind of shakes itself out. But, um, I, you know, I know a lot of people want to look at the stats and that, that's working backwards for me. Uh, but that's just, just just how I do it because uh, I use it a different way.
0: Yeah, that's great, to, that's great to hear honestly, because one of the things I think about is, A, our children have to have dreams, um, but then it's also how how do we talk about them, about who they are as, a, as an entire human being, right? So athletics is part of what it is.
2: I'll give you a, a, another example. So when we were running a talk about cohort programs at James Madison back in the nineties, they had an African-American male, they still have it, African-American male academy, where they bring high school students up to to the college for two or three weeks. And the person who developed the program asked me to write a curriculum for a time where these boys could come together and just talk about issues. So these are all teenage males. And so one of the things was about career exploration. And so lots of the boys wanted to um, be athletes, but sometimes, and I would do this in a bunch of places. Sometimes people would say, Hey, I want to be a drug dealer." They were just trying to be smart and funny and get money. And so we would, we would talk about, okay, you want to be a drug dealer? Okay. You know, well, Uh, how many years are you going to sell drugs and, you know, what's going to happen if you get arrested? And, you know, so we just have a conversation. So it's like, I'm not going to challenge you on what you want to do. Let's just talk about how that may play out. So, uh, that's, uh, that was one of the funny things we used to do at JMU. So
0: drug dealing. All right. And from that, we'll go to BB Wolf who has a question or or pharmacist,
2: you know, Hey, but think about it now they could, they could dream of being, having a dispensary. Right. So you know, right. I'm sorry. Go ahead, BB.
4: That's okay, BB. Hi there.
5: Um, this is BB. I am tuning in from Laurel, Maryland, this evening, oh, and in the DMV. <laughs> hey, Doctor Rudy, I wanted to ask you. I know there are a lot of colleges uh, that, in the response of the pandemic have either waived ACT or SAT scores or made them quite honestly optional for uh, admission. And I'm just wondering if my 15-year-old daughter really needs to take the ACT or the SAT. I mean, at this point, I I noticed there are at least 800 colleges and universities in the U.S. that are going test optional. So what
4: do we do with that?
2: It's a great question. And so a lot of it's gonna be timing. Um, and so your 15-year-old is a rising sophomore a, junior. She'll, she'll be a junior this a junior. fall. If I had to bet that clearly fall admission 2021, they're going to be, you know, like you say, maybe close to a thousand colleges that are at least test optional. But if I really had to bet for 2022, they're going to be a lot fewer just because of the revenue that's generated by the testing industry. And so my daughter, my oldest daughter is just a year behind your daughter. I would prepare to take the test because even if schools are test optional, if I'm sitting on a committee and there are two students and one does not submit their test scores and one does and the one that does is well within the average for the class, then I can check that box now I may not. The school may not say they get a preference, but mentally they do. I can Check the box, you know. <laughs> so right. it's better to have it than to not have it. So that that would be my strategy. Uh, now it, it may be a little different if you know if your daughter was a rising senior this year. Um, so I feel like the the, the winds are going to change as long as we don't have any more um, COVID issues. Uh, but but next this time next year. I would say she should have been studying, practicing, and preparing to become competitive with her test scores, along with all the other stuff that we talked about. Uh, this, this actually is a perfect time. Uh, Daddy Rich or KD, can you all throw up that, um, that PDF? So I, I wanna share a, a statement from the University of Pennsylvania that I found uh, after I started um, doing my college prep work that really helped parents understand why I was trying to shift them from becoming or focusing so much on having their, their kids become more competitive or more qualified versus standing out. And so in this, and again, UPenn is you know a top 20, a uh, large Research One institution. It's super tough to get in. You got, you know, over 30,000 applications. But what they say in their quote is that, you know, at some point they're going to look beyond grades, test scores, AP classes. And what they're saying is, if you help us to figure out what separates you from other people that look like you, you got a better chance of getting in. So while your daughter is trying to get the best test score she can, if there are, if she's going to put in, let's say, let's say 10 hours a week for the next 10 weeks, doing something, it could be college exploration, it could be career engagement, it could be looking at applications, and it could be test prep. I want her also to be putting the same amount of time to raise her test score as she's going to put in. To stand out on those intangible qualities that she has.
5: Okay, th- thank you. I I have to say that the irony in your slide is that the University of Pennsylvania is the only school she wants to go to. We were wow. in uh, We were in Philly last month for her spring break, oh, wow. and we did the whole Drexel, Temple, UPenn tour. Mm-hmm. And, she fell in love so
2: you <laughs> is great i have two former students two former clients that are twins that are up oh, there wow. in their junior and senior year and they they love it uh you a great place to go it's pricey but
5: yeah well <laughs> along
2: with that she's got to get the
5: scholarships too right, so right, right. <laughs> thank well, you good, for your answer. Luck. thank right. you
0: Rudy, I am curious a little bit about transition. So I know that you're really focusing on high school, but I I have a question about the transition that children make from elementary school to middle school. And then that transition that kids make from middle school to high school, Um, the elementary to middle school transition. Can you talk for a second about that and and the kind of things that a parent needs to really be um, keeping their eye on for their student to make certain that that transition is a successful one?
2: Well, we could probably do a whole show. Right. Um, So this is what I would say. And many times I I try not to give too general, try try not to make my comments too general, because for example, here in in Atlanta where my kids are, they're in schools that have what, what you would call like a cluster identity, meaning that there are four elementaries, there are two middles, there's a high school, there's some progression. And so expectations and culture really drive the change. And so I say that to say that depending on where you are, there may be very, very uh, large differences going from being you know, a fifth grader to a sixth grader moving to a new school, uh, or, or they may not. And so one thing I would say is that typically as our students move and you know, matriculate, they are asked to become more independent, okay? Some of that plays out in weird ways across, not weird ways, but it plays out in ways uh, across race, ways and ways across gender as it relates to behavior and expectations of, you know, responsiveness and, you know, noise level and things like that. So what I would say is that, and it really isn't a transition issue, it's a new teacher every year issue is when you sit down with that teacher, what are your expectations for the class for preparation, attention, energy, movement, all those things that are going to give that teacher a uh, ju- or make allow that teacher to make some judgment of whether this kid's prepared and engaged. Um, to me, I, I particularly don't see major differences in curriculum going from fifth to sixth or from you know eighth to ninth. Um, but you know in other places, other districts there may be. Uh, but it it really comes down to the culture now one of the big shifts when you go from middle to high is passing classes and maybe you know you do a little bit of that in middle school but you're usually in a pod and you don't have to go that far but when you get to high school and the high school that my daughter's at there are 3,800 students it may take her you know 10 plus minutes to get from one end of the school to the other Uh, so there's some logistic things that kind of go into it and what really happens is is more on the social side when you go from sometimes being a big fish in a small pond to then being the lowest person on the totem pole, being a ninth grader or being a sixth grader. So all those things can come into play, but many times it comes down to the culture of how those schools kind of work together uh, and what, they, what the expectations are. And, and to be honest, it can really be building to building, those principles really can set the tone
1: uh, for what those expectations are. You know, I I like what you said, Dr. Riddy, and I just want to kind of jump in from something we talked about earlier this week. My son just transitioned from preschool. He's pretty much at a private preschool, um, very involved, very STEM focused, and then he goes into the standard, um, I don't know, public school. And I was surprised at how much things change. But the single thing that you just said that I noticed that has been consistent and I can see being consistent is expectation. You said it earlier the week when we chatted is that I sit down and talk with the teacher. We had a parent teacher conference and I guarantee, you know how they call it church speak or engineering speak. This woman spoke so much education speak that I literally had no idea what she was talking about. Yeah. I had no idea I could look up every single word in a dictionary and still not have a clue what she wanted. And I remember when we started virtual school, I intentionally within the first week had a parent teacher meeting, consistently stayed involved. But the thing that I had no idea throughout the whole year is what was that teacher's expectation of my child? Right. But in retrospect, after talking to you, when I went back, I said, oh, she kept stating these expectations. And those expectations kind of sounded like her opinion, right? Mm-hmm. It sounded like, oh, well, kind of, sort of. But what I didn't hear, because I didn't talk to Dr. Rudy first, was she's telling you her expectation is that he does this. And if he, it don't matter if he's reading two levels ahead. Right. right. Her expectation is that he does this this. And it really baffled me because I'm like, the boy is already well advanced. He's bored. He's whatever. But these expectations. So do you mind just speaking a little bit on what this expectation means? Because it's an English word, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, it means something for you and educators.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, expectations, whether it's, again, parents, teachers, coaches, we all have them. And many times the expectations are the things that make our systems work the way we want them to work. And so really the issue becomes, if the expectation doesn't cause any problem to the system, then you know I can overlook it or it's not an issue. But if your behavior or your interaction interrupts the, the flow of the day, then it's problematic. So for the kid who is the you know uh, strong reader that wants to answer every question, but the teacher's trying to get every student involved, if that student is constantly raising their hand and that teacher doesn't know how to uh, handle that behavior in the classroom effectively, then that that could be a problem, and teachers get frustrated just like students do, just like parents do um and 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 we have to you know have the relationship between the teacher and the parent hopefully the teacher and the student where we can help each other understand, this is how my student is, this is how they learn best, this is the environment that I'm trying to create for all my students, not just your student or any other student. And we're trying to work together so that everybody can learn as much as possible. And so uh, we all have, and again, I coach, and so it's the same thing for coaching. So there are expectations because we have a way that we're trying to move all the kids forward. And I I like the fact that you've, started off by trying to develop the relationship so that whatever happened, you guys could work together um, to make the classroom better for everyone. Understood. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I think we're at the end of our questions. Do we have any more questions um, from the chat? Let me skim through here. I think on the chat, let me see who else. I look for my vocal people, make sure they will be trying to call me later. I think we are good.
2: The one thing I will say, I saw that Lisa Rice mentioned about um, test scores and scholarships. And so I will say that many times scholarships, because of their process of evaluating applications, most times they don't have the staff that an admission office has. And so they rely more heavily on scholarship numbers. And sometimes there's criteria, it's a bar, if you don't get over that bar, you're not gonna make it. So, especially for merit scholarships. So that's another reason why, even though the admission process may be test optional, if you don't have and haven't committed the time to get the best test score you can, you may be uh, pushing yourself out of opportunities on the scholarship side. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Thanks, Lisa.
1: all right well thank you all for joining us tonight um if we would pop dr rudy's i think he was the information was still available i don't know It's pop the 50 minutes if we can pop those links back in the chat of how you guys can reach dr rudy well um we can hit pause actually let's keep the recording going i need to get my music i'm going to play a little music for the next um let's say 10 15 minutes i don't know depending on how i'm feeling but thank you guys for joining us tonight um just so you guys know if you hadn't seen the post yet this week um we launched a new website. It's soullivestream.com. Um, check us out. We have an online store. So if you guys feel that these activities, these events are valuable to you and you're wondering like, hey, how can I give back? How can I support these guys? These guys are bringing some very complicated topics to everyday people. These guys are really, really working hard. Then go out there, purchase you know, uh, a shirt or for your husband or something like that. And we haven't had the first, since we opened up the shop this week, we haven't had the first 10 people purchase yet. So if you're one of the first 10 people who actually purchase a shirt or garment online and you wear it to the store, I mean, to a show, you have to wear it. So you order it today, you can wear it next week, then you will get reimbursed for that. And I'll make sure I cash app you and reimburse you for that. So you get the shirt for free, but thank you guys for supporting. We got some awesome alignment coming up from alignment um shows coming up for june and july katie's gonna be taking some time off finally but at the same time we got some surprises for you coming up in june so stay tuned um feel free to hang out with us we're gonna play some music and i talk to you guys soon